Welcome to Nightlife, a bite-sized episode. Well, on Books That Made Me, we like to invite people to tell us about the books that mean something special to them. And this evening, you're in for such a treat. We have the brilliant Sean McAuliffe, comedian, actor, producer and author in The Hot Seat. And if, like me, you're missing Sean McAuliffe's mad as hell from your TV screens, uh, this appearance on Nightlife might help soothe your sadness on that count. Uh, Sean's going to be making a few appearances at the Adelaide Writers' Festival uh, a little bit later. Uh, so we're going to give you some details about that. But first, we're very fortunate to have him all to ourselves, taking us through. Um, well, he's basically decided to rename our segment from the books that made me to uh, books with sentimental value, Sean. Yes, Suzanne, I must admit, I was given the brief and, and uh, the, the books, that, and, I, and I couldn't think of a one. I must say, I couldn't think of a book that had actually changed me at all. And it might be because of the type of books that I tend to read or that I'm drawn to because it's mainly biographies or autobiographies and maybe a bit of history, but I would argue that autobiographies and biographies, if they're any good, are history anyway. Uh, And I don't tend to read much fiction. Um, Having said that, I have, I have, Got a book here in the four that is a piece of fiction. You'll be pleased to know. Excellent, excellent. So, so we call it books with sentimental value. So these are basically books you're you're very fond of. Yes, these are books I've read once and never again. <laughs> but I have, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get rid of them. In fact, I have, I have probably as I look about this room, and I have, I would probably have about a thousand books. I think all purchased. Some are gifts, but mainly purchased by me when I was in Adelaide uh, growing up. And I'd go to the Third World Bookstore that was in Hindley Street. And you could get a decent book, a really old book that was quite obscure for like a dollar. And uh, that was my, that was usually the, the bookshop of choice. If I had a bit of money, like when I started working, I had a little bit of money, I'd go down to Standard Books that was at the very other end of Rundle Mall and uh, and buy from there. And there I bumped into, I remember, I have great memories of this particular uh, store because I bumped into Rowan Atkinson uh, when he was performing in Adelaide. He, he was there buying a book and also Spike Milligan. Wow. <laughs> so, okay, everyone went to this bookshop when they're in Adelaide. Yeah, I do, yes. Yes, Adelaide. It's Adelaide. There's not there's not many places to go, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, yeah, so that, that, that I have great fondness for that particular shop. But also, you know, I uh, I I got a I got an autograph from Spike Milligan in that shop. So um, uh, unfortunately, I didn't have the book because I, I, one of the books that I that I've got in my four here is a book by Spike Milligan, but I didn't happen to have it with me. So I had to get him to sign a copy of Aristophanes the Frogs, which we were putting on. At little theatre in Adelaide, and he very. I was in a queue, and I said, "Look, I'm sorry, Spike. I, I don't have any money with me, and I haven't got your book. Would you mind signing uh, the Frogs by Aristophanes?" And he did, which was very, very nice of him. Right, uh, to Sean, you cheap bastard, Spike <laughs> Milligan. Did he really? Yes. <laughs> well, there you can never get rid of that one, can you? I've got that. I've got that one, but that's not my sentimental. The sentimental one is the one is is Papoon by Spike Milligan. That's okay. the first one on my list. Mm. Oh, oh, okay. Well, why don't we start with that one? Then? All right. Well, okay. 
His mum, his mum, look, I just like this. I guess I like this book. When I, I read it when I was about 15, I think it was given to me as a present. It's just a, it's just a crummy old paperback. Uh, 1974 is this particular reprint, and he wrote it in 1963. And I love the, I love the forward. He says, this damn book nearly drove me mad. I started it in 1958 and doodled with it for four years. I don't think I could go through it all again. Therefore, this will be my first and last novel. Now, about 20 years later, he did write another novel called The Loony. And uh, he says, after Pakun, I promised I would never write another book again. This is it. <laughs> but I've not read The Loony. I've only read Pakun. And the reason that I have great sentimental attachment to it is because it's the first and probably only book I ever read that really made me laugh uh, out loud. You know, I, I can read a lot of stuff and appreciate it and think it's funny. And I read a lot of S.J. Perlman, for example, and I find that very funny. But I don't laugh out uh, in a noise-like way. And Pakun really, I, I laughed so much I had to put the book down. And that's the sort of cliche that you would write if you were doing a blurb on the back of it. But I, I did. And so that stayed with me ever since. So tell, uh, for people who haven't, haven't read it and aren't familiar about it, what's, what's the storyline? What's it all about? Well, it's a, it's, he's living on the border. This is an, an island, this particular character. And I can't look, you know, I've only ever read it once and I have a very, very shabby memory of the whole thing. Uh, but it's, it's not like The Goon Show. A lot of people would know Spike Milligan from The Goon Show, which is very absurd. And like, this is actually more thoughtful. And it is quite a, quite a, it's a narrative that actually makes sense. So it's not as absurd as you might expect from Spike Milligan. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's a squib, you know, it's only, uh, how many pages it is here? It's only 156 pages, which is not very long. I don't think it's even really a novel. I don't think it qualifies. I think it's a novella. Um, but it was made into a movie, if anyone uh, wants to see the movie. Um, Sean Hughes played the main character, and it came out in maybe the early, early 2000s, I think it was, before um, Sean Hughes passed away. Um, but just a just just and I don't think very successful translation to the to, to uh, you know to movies. I, I think it's really a book to be read because so much of it occurs in the head of Dan Milligan, you know, the, the main character. And so Pakun is just a village that basically ends up stuck in the middle of Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic. Yes, yes, um, that's right. It's, it's all it's all about that particular area and. Uh, and what this guy thinks. I, my memory is that it, it opens with, with um, either a dog thinking about the main character or the main character thinking about a dog. <laughs> it's terrible that I've not read it more than once. <laughs> read it 15 years ago and only like it because I remember laughing. But that's not, that's not, a, bad, that's not a bad reason to like something. It's funny with books, though, because there can be the books you read 10 times and there can be the books you read only once, but you go, oh, my goodness, that book was so amazing. It really stuck with me. I feel that way about uh, Love in the Time of Cholera. I only read it the once, but every time I see it on my shelf, I go, gosh, I loved that book. And I'm kind of happy to leave it there, though. Yeah, I don't know whether I – I don't want to read it again just in case I don't like it as much. I suspect – 15-year-old me and 60-year-old me have slightly different expectations now and I don't want to be disappointed. Yeah. Uh, It sometimes happens when I watch a film years later and something I really loved as a 
you know, as a 20 year old or something, I'll watch it as I have done when I'm say 50 and think, well, I don't know what all the fuss was about there. That's a, that's that's not nice at all. You know, that's not a good that's not a good film at all. Or when you've so, been to the perfect concert and you go see them again and they weren't as good and you just go, oh, yeah. ruined it, ruined yeah. it. Yeah, is it is it them or is it you? You yeah. don't know. Yeah. For me, when Leonard Cohen came back the second time and he had all the same jokes from like yeah. three years previously, I was like, I heard this line. I heard this line already. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think with theatre particularly or, or anything on stage, that's particularly so because if they do it right, whether it's an actor or whether it's a singer, if they do it right, you do feel it's bespoke. You do feel it's just for you on the night or it's that group of people on the night It's quite special. And it does ruin it when, I mean, that happened a couple of times with Barry Humphreys, who I absolutely love, but um, I, I saw one of his shows in uh, in London and then maybe five or six years later in back in Adelaide again. And it was pretty much, it was, it was supposed to be a different show, but it was, pretty much the same lines that made me think, oh, uh, it's never going to be as good as the first time. Uh, Sean McAuliffe is here for, well, it would have been the books that made me, but he couldn't think of any, so now we've decided it's his sentimental favourite books. Uh, Let's talk about Charlie Chaplin's autobiography, Sean, because this is a a book that really stuck with you too, and and the story particularly. Yeah, yeah. This is, I love this book, and I read read a ratty old copy when I was... uh, uh, probably about 18 or 19. And then since then, I managed to come across a first edition, which uh, I bought just out of some weird compulsion, essentially. So this is the this is the one I've got. I don't know what happened to that one. I must have lost it. But I, this is a nice, handsome... Um, the, These uh, are the sound effects, I assume, of you flicking through the book? Yes, I'm just looking. It's bodily head, bodily head. And it's just a very simple cream uh, d- dust jacket, with in sort of orange writing, it's called My Autobiography with a hyphen, My Autobiography. I think the My is redundant. I think Autobiography would have done it. I don't, whose else would it be? <laughs> Unless he's drawing some parallel between the character of Charlie and himself, that might be it. Maybe he's, uh, he's a bit deeper than I'm thinking. And of course, he calls himself Charles Chaplin rather than Charlie Chaplin. Um, but he, it's a, he did it all from memory, like he didn't go and check anything. So there's, there's some bizarre phonetic spellings of place names and people he knew. But his memory is pretty good. And we're talking a pretty Dickensian childhood for, for Chaplin. It's, it really is the stuff of Dickens. Um, you know, he had a, his mother went mad. He was living on the street. You know, it's, it's, it's that serious and dire for him. And it's just fascinating. I mean, of course, he goes to joins the Fred Carno troupe and goes to America. I just, I love the, I love the, it's, it's the melodrama of it. It's so corny. And, uh, and he goes and becomes the most famous comedian in the world. And then about halfway through, um, he's about 50, gets married to Una Chaplin, and then it's his holidays. The rest of the book is just a bunch of holidays and all the famous people he met. It's the most <laughs> tedious thing in the world. So, so he gives and he takes away in this book. But it is, it is really nicely written. It just gets a bit dull once he's peaked. So basically the suffering and the poverty was way more interesting than him being successful. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely far, far more interesting to have him write about that. He seems more invested in it too. Um, there's a kind of a... Um, I know. Look, this is just my. I might be projecting onto him a little bit, but I, I, I think he shows off a little bit in the second half, as because he's not terribly well educated uh, because of his circumstances, and I think he's taught himself quite a bit. So he's it's kind of one of these word for the day 
guys where he'll find a new word and he'll use it, <laughs> you know, whether it's whether it actually fits into the sentence or not. There's a bit of that going on, and he's and he's a terrible name dropper too in the second half of the book. He loves telling you that he's met Albert Einstein or that he's he's met Bertrand Russell or he's you know it's it's kind of a bit it's kind of a bit empty. But you know, I you can't you can't stop halfway through and not read the rest. You've got to you've got to go through all the way. So is this uh, another book you've only read once? Yeah, only read it once. Uh, I have read I have read a number of biographies about him a few times because I, I kind of weirdly enough he doesn't really spend a lot of time talking about his art, um, which is a pity. So I I'm I'm kind of interested in the the machinery of comedy very much, and I read a lot of books about that. So and I tend to do that with everything really. I mean I've got a few books on on Dickens for example on his life which I would have read a number of times. But I've read very little Charles Dickens, and maybe apart from Christmas Carol, which again is a very short book. Um, I should have included that one actually, because that's probably the only book that actually made me cry. It does make me cry that book. Just one um, in all the books you've read. Yeah, just that's the only one. That's the, and, it's, and it's a piece of fiction. Like it's uh, it's it's yeah I, I, yeah I, I have great fondness for it, but I I haven't I can't be bothered reading the other stuff, and I quite kind of like his. Uh, just his the story of his life uh, is is interesting. Um, there's huge holes, huge holes in my education. Absolutely. <laughs> you seem to have got by okay with uh, with those holes there. Anyway, all right. So that's the um, my autobiography, not by Charlie Chaplin, but by Charles Chaplin. Um, oh, yes. Now, Jimmy Stewart, um, the American actor, actually wrote a book of of poems, which is on your list. Tell us all, all about it. Yes, this book is called Jimmy Stewart and His Poems by Jimmy Stewart, and it features a cartoon of him on the cover. I'll just find the date for you as to when it was published. I think it was in his twilight years. Uh, let's have a look here. Um, 1989. So he's pretty old at this point. He's probably nearing 80. Uh, the book is only <laughs> – it's a very short book. I love short books. Uh, it's only 30 pages long. Oh, wow, that is short. There's a substantial number of the um, – the face of the pages taken up by cartoons, illustrations by somebody else, and almost half the page is taken up with the title of the poem. <laughs> and there's a, there's also often a, like a, a page, half page uh, discussion about how the poem was written. So the poems themselves, there's only about five there. So these are and all I, poems he wrote himself. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. He's not he's not put together an anthology of his favourite poems. There's nothing by T. S. Eliot here. <laughs> this is all his own stuff. Um, and I, they're terrible. They're just awful. <laughs> but I love the oddness of this book that some, he thought to himself that he would get it published, that he thought that was a good idea and he convinced, who is the Crown? I've never heard of them. They've published, published this. And it's in hardback, by the way, 30-page book in hardback. Um, there's a but wonderful poem. Apparently there was only one edition, so it hasn't run hot in terms of demand for reprints. No, well, that's good. I, I'm pleased that I've got the first and only edition. Um, but there's a book, a wonderful poem in there about his dog called Bo. Uh, I'll, go, okay, I'll just read the first. Can oh, I no, read the, read, first read the whole thing. I've, I've been told oh, you're very good at. You've been told you're very good at reading poems by Jimmy Stewart. So I don't think we can let this opportunity pass us by. Okay. Well, I have. I'll have a go, and I'll bring the lamp over. Um, it's very dark in here in this oh. room. Um, <laughs> But my lamp, I'll describe my lamp to you. It features uh, the three Marx Brothers. Uh, really? Climbing up a lamppost and the light on the lamppost is the light of the lamp. 
Wow. Uh, here we go. It's called Bo. Bo. He 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 never he never came to me when I would call unless I had a tennis ball or he felt like it, but mostly he didn't come at all. But when he was young, he never learned to heal or sit or stay. He did things his way. Discipline was not his bag. And when you were out with him, things sure didn't drag. He'd dig up rose bushes just to spite me. And then I'd grab him, he'd turn and bite me. He bit lots of folks from day to day. The delivery boy was his favorite prey. The gas man wouldn't read our meter. He said we owned a real man-eater. This is terrible, isn't it? Isn't it awful? The, the rhymes are a little bit um, yeah, yeah, flavoured. <laughs> he's, he's not really tried hard at all. Anyway, I'll keep going. Um, he set the house on fire, but the story's long to tell. Suffice to say that he survived and the house survived as well. On evening walks, and Gloria took him, he was always first out the door. The old one and I brought up the rear because our bones were sore. He would charge up the street with mom hanging on. What a beautiful pair they were. And if it was still light and the tourists were out, they created a bit of a stir. But every once in a while, he would stop in his tracks and with a frown on his face, look around. It was just to make sure that the old one was there and would follow him where he was bound. We're early to betters at our house. I guess I'm the first to retire and I leave the room. He'd look at me and got up from his place by the fire. And he knew where the tennis balls were upstairs and I'd give him one for a while and he'd push it under the bed with his nose and I'd fish it out with a smile. And before very long, he'd tire of the ball and be asleep in his corner in no time at all. And there were nights when I'd feel him climb up on our bed and he between us and I'd pat his head. And there were nights when I'd feel this stare and I'd wake up and he'd be sitting there and I'd reach out my hand and stroke his hair and sometimes I'd feel him sigh. And I think I know the reason why. He'd wake up at night and he would have this fear of the dark of life, lots of things, and he'd be glad to have me near. And now he's dead and there are nights when I think I feel him climb up on our bed and lie between us and I pat his head. There are nights when I think I feel that stare and I reach out my hand to stroke his hair, but he's not there. Oh, how I wish that wasn't so. I'll always love a dog named Bo. <laughs> that's so, uh, like, I, it's terrible, but I, I'm deeply moved by it. So oh, I guess that makes it a good poem. That's right. He really loved that dog. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Bo. Susanna, are, you, are you crying? No. I... Oh, you're not <laughs> No, I'm afraid I'm not that moved by dogs. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, no, no. Give me tragic, tragic romance, but dogs, I'm afraid not. Um, so, what made you buy this book? Well, it was just so, such a curio. You know, yeah. it was just such an odd thing. And I'm a big fan of James Stewart. Anyway, mm. I never called him Jimmy Stewart, but I'm a big fan of James Stewart. I love the Philadelphia Story. One of my favourite films. My favourite film of all time being um, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. Um, so it just seemed like a. I thought well, this is interesting. Such a personal book of his. That's really putting himself out there. I think just writing these things down and <laughs> and and wanting to share them. It's, it's it was and because there are so few copies of this book, you know, because it's only this one edition. I guess it's pretty rare. I'm not suggesting it's worth anything, but uh, it's worth something to me. Yeah. So, so. 
Oh, well, that's because it is, what do we call it? Uh, books of a sentimental nature or of yeah. sentimental value to you. Sean McAuliffe is here. He's sharing some of his favourite books of a sentimental nature with you. Now, finally, we actually have um, a nursery book that one of your grandfathers gave to you. Yes. Well, I, he didn't give it to me. I think I just stole it from him. Um, <laughs> this, was, this was actually presented as a, as a brown paper cover, I guess, to protect it. My grandfather... Uh, was awarded this. It says, first prize awarded to James Hare, my grandfather, for general proficiency. Now, I can't imagine. It would. It must have been grade one. I can't imagine. Yes, here we are in first class. In first class. So he's in grade one and they're giving awards out for proficiency. I can't think how, how wonderful you'd have to be to get this. So this is the state school of Cambuya where he went and he was given this on the 7th of May, 1915. And it's called the nursery book, and it doesn't have any other markings on it. Like I, I don't know who wrote it. Um, it's very loving. It's very nicely illustrated, and it's, it's clearly a, a professional book. You know, it's a proper printed book. But there's no, um, there's no publisher. There's no copyright on it. There's no date on it. Obviously, it predates 1915, and and it's in pretty good nick. You know, we've looked after it. And uh, it hasn't faded. The pictures are still all there. There's some there's some dreadfully racist material in it, so you'd never be able to share it with anybody. Um, absolutely, wouldn't be able to open it in front of another human being. But um, so, what but what is it? Is it nursery rhymes or is it stories? There, yes, there's stories in there. I mean, they're not all they're not all horribly racist, but they do involve seem to, they seem to involve a lot of children dying. Um, and eating gruel, and and they're all cautionary tales, I guess. Whether they be little nursery rhymes or 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 stories, the people who don't obey their parents, are, you know, end up with the, you know, they're covered in ink and and mm. drowned in a lake or something like that. <laughs> Lumps of coal for Christmas and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a way of controlling people, I suppose. And as you get through the book, they be, the material becomes less. Um, childlike and more like the, the number of the word count increases so um, presumably it was supposed to stay with you in the nursery as you grew up so you could read the first bit uh, when you were um, you know five or six years old and it had, I reckon the intention would have been to have held your attention uh, until you were probably about 14 I think. So did you ever share the, the stories with your own kids if they looked at all of them? No, no, I couldn't possibly because right. if you go from the first of all, it's it's a bit fragile, mm. so you wouldn't want those uh, ragamuffins um, tearing <laughs> away at it. But I, I wouldn't have even gone to the, I wouldn't have even sat there and opened it and read it to them as youngsters because there was a chance they might see the next page in which the dreadfully racist material was that involved too much explanation. So it's really just been hidden away. It's a thing you shouldn't do with books, which is never open them or look at them. But just knowing it was there was uh, is a reminder of my grandfather, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, and the and the uh, just thinking of him as a as a five year old in Cambuya is interesting because there are no photos of him that young or anything. So all I've got really is this book, and uh, my mother is my mother must have covered it, I think. So I think she's got it, and she's retitled it the Kitty Book. And uh, she's put my name and address on it. It's very oh. nice. So, yeah. although having said that, down the bottom right-hand corner, it seems to be signed by my grandfather as a an older person. He's got JJ hair there. I don't think he'd be doing that when he was five. So he must have been important to him. 
uh, for him to keep. And then at some point, maybe it passed on to my mother and then my mother's passed it on to me. Yeah. I mean, it was a reminder of that he had general proficiency. So Yes, he'd be very... <laughs> He, was, he always loved being mentioned in dispatches, my grandfather. I think he, this might have been the very first time that that happened. So it's a, it was obviously important to him. But I think, you know, the artefact of a book or just, the, just the, the feeling of it, I'm not someone who actually listens to too many audio books or, or reads them off um, uh, a digital screen or anything like that. I do, and it's probably why I've kept so many of them and, and I'm very reluctant to give them away, uh, is, that, is that for me, um, just the the smell of them, the uh, the feeling of them, the weight of them, the commitment that you have to find space for them. And I kind of know where everything is. Like if someone, if someone, if I've got a lot of film books, so if my son asks, who's, who's interested in film, if he asks for a particular book, I'll kind of know where it is. I have a memory of where it is, which is something that you obviously don't do with audio books or digital books. You know, you don't have that closer relationship with that sort of abstracted idea of a book. Whereas a real book, you kind of know where it is. You know, you kind of even can remember a passage of which side it is, which side of the book yeah. is when you crack it open. I've got a good memory about that sort of thing. And I think maybe because I'm a writer as well, the archaeology of it all is really important. Yeah. You know, like because uh, I often write in longhand. So I've got journals and, and you know, collections of paper and stuff. And the, the memory of what they look like and where they are helps me uh, have some sort of relationship with what's written down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got books that I cried over and I can still see pages that my tears have sort of, you know, left a little mark on them. So I'd never yeah. part with those books. No, no, that's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, I, I do uh, fish around occasionally. and I love secondhand bookshops. I love going in there and finding, you know, I kind of, kind of like the fact that someone's got an ex-libris, you know, stamp in the, in the book there. But I, it, it's a, sometimes a bit sad because I think, well, how did that end up here? You know, this is obviously a much-loved book. Uh, you know, it's it's been, you know, well looked after and if it hasn't been faded by the sun, you know that someone's looked after it properly. And I guess there are estates. I guess there are estate sales or, um, you know, um, things eventually get moved on, you know, and not everybody uh, treats someone's collection of books as preciously yeah. as they did, which I, is sad, but I guess it's inevitable. Um, and occasionally I'll order something online, you know, I'll go... I'll, I'll get on to James Pepper's rare books in uh, wherever they are, New York, and uh, order something that was, I kind of like the fact it was owned by somebody else. I've got a, I've got a book of Foucault that was owned by Peter Sellers, and I, and I probably haven't even read the book, but I just kind of <laughs> like the fact that it was owned by somebody who I admire. And apparently George Bernard Shaw did that before he, you know, a few years before he died, he went and, he went and put his name in the, in the fly leaf of all the books that he owned because he knew that when they were sold, they'd be worth more. Because his name was at the <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, you could maybe do that with your book, Sean, to ensure that they're looked after long after you're gone. Um, no, now... the, boy, the boys will be, they'll be pitchforking those into the incinerator. I've got no doubt. <laughs> Incinerators are a bit old hat now too, are they? Where's this place where they're still allowed? <laughs> oh, they'll be building them, especially to get rid of my collection. Now, we should mention before we let you go, you um, are making three appearances at the Adelaide Writers Festival. What what will you be doing? What's the general flavour of your appearance? Well, Susanna, I was hoping you could tell me because I, I've forgotten. No, I think I'm speaking to, I'm speaking to John Fain um, at some point, I think that might be on Saturday, about uh, an autobiography that I've written, which I haven't called my autobiography. I just, I <laughs> just autobiography? 
just autobiography. <laughs> it's not tripping over myself. It's actually uh, it's actually about the the act of making comedy, which is always, as I said to you before, it was a fascinated me. So I've, I've kind of tried to share that with people who are interested in reading the book. Uh, I've also written a couple of kids' books, and uh, I'm uh, talking, uh, I think, on the Sunday about both of those, um, which is interesting given uh, given the debate that's raging at the moment about uh, yeah. Raoul Dahl and uh, rewriting things. And I know that when I wrote my own, the observation from the editor at uh, Hardy Grant was, gee, there's, it, it, there's a lot of witches and, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of ugliness in this in a way that... Uh, uh, characters are described and I said yeah well that, that's exactly how they are that that's that's there's a lot of misogyny in these uh, in these fairy tales they were basically sort of repurposed uh, I've joined them all up basically to tell one story and there's a terrible amount of misogyny in these books and also you know just stuff you read with an adult's eye and you think well you know that sleeping beauty thing of kissing somebody uh and when they're you know unconscious that's kind of weird yeah, you know, where was weird. the consent uh-uh. yeah, yeah that's right so that again these are all cautionary tales i suppose that's their, their origin is as cautionary tales uh so you know we'll talk we'll talk probably not talk about specifically those things but we'll talk about kids books and uh, how important they were um and are uh, and i think is that it no that's two. Right, i can tell you you're doing kids day saturday the 4th of march at 11 30 Tripping yes. Over Myself, the 4th of March at 5 o'clock, also available via live stream. And then uh, Simon Armitage and Friends, that's Sunday, the 5th of March at 3.45. Oh, yes, I get, to, I get to read the Poet Laureate's book about, uh, poem about the Queen. Queen. Queenhood is the one I'll be reading. And I think I might do that as Sir John Gilgood. I hope he doesn't mind. <laughs> not, not Sir John. I just hope that Richard doesn't mind. Sean, we need to let you go. But thank you so much for joining us on uh, Nightlife to uh, share us uh, uh, your list of the books that have the most sentimental value to you. Suzanne, thank you very much. It's been a a pleasure talking to you. That is Sean McAuliffe. As I said, sorely missed, well, for me at least, I'm sure for you from ABC TV screens. uh, I used to love settling down to a bit of mad as hell. Uh, But if you are in Adelaide, you can catch them at the Adelaide Writers' Festival with those dates that I gave out. ABC Radio. You're listening to Nightlife. Nightlife with Suzanne Hill. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.